for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseboro, your servant in Jesus Christ. My job, doing what the Bereans do, or did, doing what the Bereans done did. (laughs) Yeah, the Bereans, from the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul came to Berea, and proclaimed the gospel to them, they actually went into the scriptures and compared what the Apostle Paul said to the word of God as they had it, which would have been just the Old Testament at that time, to see if what he was saying was true. Or as the Apostle Paul writes in Second Corinthians, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. It's not a politically correct endeavor that we engage in here at Fighting for the Faith, yet it is a job that must be done. I don't care if Americans don't like to think. I don't care if their favorite way of getting information is to still little sound bites from the television set and they don't want to have to actually do the tough work of actually firing up the synapses in their brain, getting the engine running, and engaging in critical thinking. I watch The Daily Show. You watch The Daily Show? Actually, what's funny, Colbert Report and Daily Show, I think you get better news from those guys than you do from anywhere else. It's a nice edge. You know, they got that, and they're they're sword cuts both ways, man. doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative. They will, they'll let you have it. But, you know, those guys have more mental capacity and ability to think critically than than most people do, which is kind of scary, frightening if you think about it. Anyway, we've got an interesting program lined up for you today. We are, we'll do a little bit of listener email and, uh, we've got all kinds of news that we've got to get to. Um, apparently there's a brand new sex challenge that's been, you know, the gauntlet has been thrown down and there's yet another sex challenge. Another brave pastor has decided to tell the truth that sex was created by God and has challenged the members of his congregations, those who are married, to do the deed. What a brave soul this man is. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> apparently, God has been reincarnated somewhere in the, uh, in, in the east in Nepal. There's a young teenage kid who, uh, who they think is the reincarnation of the Buddha, and uh, how do we know he's the reincarnation of the Buddha? Well, he hasn't been eating or drinking, and he's been meditating under a tree. Isn't that what the Buddha did? Yeah, the, ki- the photographs of this kid, this kid needs a haircut, probably a bath from the looks of it, too, a shower or something of that sort. Anyway, and then we'll talk about... Oh, man, we, got, we just got a lot to do. With, I want to play the Deepak Chopra interview on Hannity and Combs. I watched, I was, came back from my walk with my wife the other night, and... You know, sat down to enjoy a nice cold glass of water while I was, you know, you know, warming down from my my walk and turn on Hannity and Combs. And there's Deepak Chopra talking about a new book that he's written about uh, Jesus. And boy, did he have some interesting things to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, the guys on Issues Etc. covered that yesterday. But uh, that was a listener comments. This is going to be Roseboro comments. So- <laughs> <laughs> or biblical comments. Anyway, a little bit of listener email here. Um, ben writes, Benjamin writes, he says, uh, Hey, Chris, thank you for your review of Rob Bell's sermon. 
Uh, I have recently found out that a relative who is a Nazarene youth pastor is a big proponent of the emergent movement. You know, I, from what I heard, now this is anecdotal. I don't know if this is one hundred percent true. From what I've heard, uh, the Nazarene Church has you know has embraced this emergent stuff pretty deeply. There's a lot you know. There's it, uh, among Nazarenes, the emergent movement seems to you know have caught on like wildfire. And I'll tell you why that doesn't surprise me. Okay, um, I was a Nazarene for a while. And uh, a long while. yeah, a long while. It's too long. In fact, I attend the same Nazarene church that Dr. James Dobson did, uh, Pasadena Nazarene. And uh, and uh, my pastor for a while was his cousin H. B. London. So you know, I and and I what they did was kind of Nazarene light, and, and that was all all that was too much law for me then. And so um, here's the deal. The Nazarene movement, in case you're not familiar with it, the Nazarene movement was a neo-Methodist movement. What had happened is, is that, you know, John Wesley starts the Methodist movement. And Methodism is a, is a derogatory term that was given to the Methodist. And I believe, I could be wrong, that the term Methodist was coined by Lutherans in critique to their uh, doctrine of sanctification, that they were somehow thought that they were making themselves holy with the whole goal of attaining, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, that was the whole, that's the whole, that's the center and substance of their theology. And um, and the the Lutherans, you know, back in Wesley's days, coined the term Methodist to basically derogatorily say, "Are you trying to sanctify yourselves through your methods?" And uh, and Wesley, this is this is Roseboro's twisted history version of it. Pretty much said, "Hey, that's a great name. We should apply that to ourselves." So what happened is is that you have the first generation and second generation of Methodists, uh, you know, coming out of the mid nineteenth century. And what happened is is that the, um. It, it, when Methodism runs into liberalism, <laughs> well, you got to understand if you if you're going to run a, if you're going to have a legalistic church if you're going to have a church based on law and not gospel where the gospel only gets brought out and applied to the person who hasn't yet made a decision for Jesus. By the way, that's a terrible way of talking about it because that's not what the scripture says. But you know that's their terminology, so we'll we'll just embrace it for for the moment. It, you know, so somebody who you know who's made a decision for Jesus, that's the that's the person who needs to hear the gospel. And with them, uh, now you got law, 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 more law, methods, and law, and do this and and more methods and and law and law. What'll end up happening is is that uh, the first generation, you know, of people will try their darndest to pull it off. Their kids will be completely burned out on it and will uh, try to lighten the load a little bit because that's a heavy load to have to carry. And so that's when they start making compromises when it comes to legalism and, um, and you know, new interpretations of the Bible are brought in in order to, uh, you know, basically say, oh, we shouldn't take these things literally. And so what happened is, is that uh, second and third generation Methodists were already well on the way to becoming the uber-liberal church that they are today. That's just the natural flow of things. Well, the Nazarene movement was kind of a neo-Methodist movement. It was started up specifically to get back to that original uh, form of Wesleyan Methodism, and you know, it was it was really supposed to be some kind of a revival of Methodism. And wouldn't you know it, they're following the same path. So when you've got an entire denomination built upon this concept where the center of Scripture is be ye perfect and, and as your Father in heaven is perfect and the emphasis and substance of their preaching is all is law without gospel, 
it's just a matter of time before you've created the next generation of unbelieving liberals. And so it doesn't surprise me that the emergent movement is taking hold and taking root in the Nazarene church. That actually is to be expected. You know, where it's almost a law, second law of thermodynamics, you know, there's a second law of thermodynamics as it applies to churches and their half-life, you know, so you start off legalistic, you're going to end up in that direction. So anyway, um, Benjamin continues, he says, uh, his friend often talks highly about Rob Bell's NUMA videos and said that he frequently shows them in uh, the youth uh, to the youth that uh, he teaches. Have you watched any of them? Yeah, I have. Would you be able to review one or more of them on your program in the future? That's a good question. I can review them if I take sound bites from them. And the the, the issue here is is that um, fair use laws regarding copyright material gets a little iffy when you know I got to be careful when it's something that's for sale. You know, so um, you know I don't have a problem necessarily playing an entire sermon from somebody uh, if, that's readily available for free on the internet. But when you have to purchase the video, then what I need to do is provide a critique with sound bites that are a little bit more concise in order to make sure that I don't run afoul of uh, of of these laws regarding copyrighted material, especially those that are for sale. So that's something I could, I'll, I'll consider Benjamin. I appreciate the question and, uh, I'll get back to you on that. Um, (laughs) see what I can do. All right. Ian writes, he says this is regard. Remember yesterday I was talking, you know, I answered, uh, Jan, uh, Pam, was it Pam's email regarding, uh, uh, you know, is she still a sinner? What, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The Baptist. And, um, and basically said, you know, listen, there's a, there's a lot now. Maybe I I painted too broad of a brush. I I might've done that, but I will say in my experience, there are many Baptists who don't understand the paradox that exists for the Christian life. As a result of it, they, they don't get the fact that we're both sinner and saint. Okay. Which is the biblical thing. But uh, Ian writes, and he says, there are some Southern Baptists that understand the paradox between being a sinner and being made righteous by faith in Jesus. No, I I agree. And he says, just as there are some Lutherans who understand they are saved by faith and not some form of infant baptism. (laughs) I think we're going to have to find a – we're going to have to do a program on that in the future. Yeah, by the way, um, Lutherans are consistent. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. The question is, is by what means does that faith get come to us? All right. And so this, this is a discussion on the means of grace. So uh, if you want to really understand Lutheran, which I believe is Christian theology on this, then you have to understand the means of grace. We're not saying that baptism, um, how do I put it? An infant is saved by faith just as much as an adult is. We believe that God can give faith to an infant because it's not based upon a human will or decision or anything like that. And, you know, so uh, keep that in mind. You know, we'll have to open that up, that can of worms up later. (sighs) You know, I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Don't make any noises like this. (laughs) That's a Limbaugh noise. But I, I kind of get it. You know, what's funny is you got the stack of paper, you know, that you, you know, you, you've done your show prep. You, 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 want, you know what you want to talk about. And what's funny is, is that um, when you're doing uh, radio prep like this, um, it's a tight balance between 
being really rigid in your in your preparation and having some kind of a free flowing thing going too. Because I think if so, I I have a general idea of where I want to go on a daily basis and what I want to talk about, but I don't want it to be so rigid that um, I can't switch gears and and do other things. Does that make sense? I see. I being the, my personality type, I just don't like being put in a box. This is Chris out of the box. <laughs> like anyone needed to know that. Can you smoke cigars during the show? No, we're not going to smoke cigars during the show. Man, we can't. They, actually, they have a rule here in this building. We can't smoke inside of this building. Oh. I, you know, <sighs> I'd have to build my own building. I don't even think California law would allow me. I'd have to move to Florida and hang out with Limbaugh in his studio or something. The old studios, they're boards. They used to make cup holders and ashtrays. In oh, that's right. I've seen. You know, what's funny is I, I've been to KFI radio, and this it, man, this goes back a long way. When I was in college, I invited. Uh, oh, what is that liberal guy's name? Oh man, he was a he was a liberal radio guy here on KFI. Um, I'll think about it later. But uh, I invited him to do a debate with a with a, a conservative Christian on whether or not God is a liberal. And um, that was an interesting debate. Bill Press. It was Bill Press. Smart guy, um, obnoxious. Um, And so Bill Press actually came to Concordia – I mean, sorry, Con U and um, and debated – Gosh, I can't remember the Christian guy that we brought out. He's he's been off the radio now for you know almost since the time. It, apparently, the debate that he had with Bill Press got him kicked off the air. No, I'm kidding, it didn't. But he hasn't. He, you know, he went off the radio um, shortly after that. And um, anyway, Bill. So what happened is we recorded it, we videotaped it, and um, and I I Bill Press after the debate invited me down to the KFI radio studio. I think wow. I get to go into a real radio studio, KFI. Yeah, wow. Walking the place was a pit. I, I think the carpet had been installed somewhere in the early '60s. It was a really deep shag carpet, some bizarre off mauve kind of color thing going on. It was, ter- and then the walls looked like garbage. And you looked at the where the where the people would actually do the radio. I'm thinking. If I were doing radio here, I wouldn't want to put my arms on the table. It, and there was an ash. There was a hole for an ashtray, and and one guy looked like he was drinking a scotch while he was doing his show. This was a Saturday afternoon. I'm thinking, maybe radio isn't all that sexy. <laughs> Little did I know that years later, you know. Anyway, all right. Are we ready for for the news? I'm ready for the news. Let, let's do the news. Oh, this is going to be so fun. <laughs> um, a call to action. Pastor issuing seven-day sex challenge. You know, hey, at least the Nazarenes and the Methodists, you know, their challenge was to be ye perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. If you're going to come up with a challenge or something, can you make it somewhat difficult? Yeah, oh man. Let me read this. This is um this is <laughs> this is an AP story that's on Yahoo. Dallas. The pastor of a mega church says he will challenge married congregants during his sermon on Sunday to have sex for 7 straight days. And he plans to practice what he preaches. You've got to be kidding me. I mean this is, what is this, the second or third 
congregation this year that's gotten you know like national media coverage about a seven day sex challenge. The first one was from Relevant Church. Relevant Church uh, back in, in the beginning of the year issued the thirty day sex challenge. What's funny is is that this this story alludes to that. Let me continue. Quote. We're going to give it a try, said the Reverend Ed Young, who has four children in, uh, with his wife of 26 years. Uh, Young, who's 47, said he believes society promotes promiscuity and he wants to reclaim sex for married couples. Sex should be a nurturing spiritual act that strengthens marriages, he said. Oh, yeah, yeah. God says sex should be between a married man and a married woman said, you know, is it, I think it's just a matter of time before one of these pastors actually demonstrates how to do it on their stage. (laughs) You know, I'm married to this woman right here and here's how you actually engage in nurturing and spiritual sex in order to strengthen your marriage. And we want to show you the proper way to do it. I swear it's that they're that close. Yeah, they, Young said he will deliver his seven-day sex challenge while sitting on a bed in front of his Dallas-area church campus. Told you, he's got the bed in there. All he needs to do is get his wife. Is the scripture for that? Yeah, I mean, who cares? We don't need scripture anymore. We just need self-help. Um, he's the founder of the Non-Denominational Fellowship Church, which draws about 20,000 people each Sunday and also has campuses in Forth, Fort, Fort Worth, Plano, and Miami. Is that Miami, Texas or Miami, Florida? Earlier this year, a Southwest Florida pastor, perhaps having more faith in his congregants, Stamina, issued a 30-day sex challenge. That's from the the AP piece. So, I mean, already they're sitting there going, seven days? (sighs) Whoop-dee-doo. But, of course... Ed Young, being an influential mega pastor, has made it on television. Here's uh, from the early show on CBS, uh, the story uh, Ed Young on the early show. A pastor in Dallas has issued the married couples in his congregation an unusual challenge to have sex for seven days. If you're married, I'm going to challenge you. I can't make you, but I'm going to challenge you to have sex with your spouse for seven straight days beginning next Sunday. Wow, can you believe that? I'm going to issue a challenge. Have sex for seven straight days. John came up with an idea, and I think this really just shows how depraved you are. Maybe what they can do instead is, you know, they can run this like, you know, uh, like a a college basketball thing, and you can have a sex off. You know, you get style points, you know, and, you know, consistency, you know. Uh, yeah, like the Olympics, right? Churches should have sex Olympics to show the world that sex is between a man and a woman because that's the way God wants it. This is just stupid. Can you preach the gospel and get rid of this silly, stupid stuff? Anyway, we continue with his appearance on the early show on CBS. Us from Dallas, Ed Young, senior pastor at Fellowship Church. Good morning. Good morning, Julie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Why this challenge? What is the goal here? Well, the goal is for the church to talk about sex because, after all, God is the one who invented sex, and he tells us to do it, but he says to do it in marriage. And sex is really the super glue, Julie. I believe it's, it's a real reflection of how the marriage is going. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could get 20,000 people having sex for seven straight days. And I th- Wouldn't it be cool? 
Wouldn't that be cool? That's so cool. God, any any examples of any of the apostles issuing seven day sex challenges, thirty day sex challenges, anything like that? No, no, nothing. <sighs> this is just dumb. I'm serious. I mean, it, it. And the fact that the media is even covering these stories just shows that these guys are media savvy. But already, I think the media is getting it and they're poo pooing this whole stuff. This is just silly, stupid. I think it would be cool, as if cool is the standard by which. Pastors are supposed to decide what they're going to preach about. It's cool. I thought it would be cool if we had 20,000 people having sex. You know, Pastor Young, I hate to say this, but if let's just say that 20,000 people in your church were actually married, okay? And, you know, I'm assuming you've been a pastor for longer than a day or two. Okay? Get this. You're not... This will knock your socks off. All those people who are married... They've already been doing it. They've been having sex for years. You ever heard of a, how to consummate a marriage? You know, you, you have a marriage ceremony, you have cake, you have a reception, and then there's this thing called a honeymoon. Get this. They, people have sex on their honeymoons. It's true. So, you know, you're sitting here thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool if 20,000 people had sex? They're already having sex. <sighs> Where, what are they teaching people in seminaries nowadays? I mean, have they, have they dumbed down the curriculum so much? I mean, is this what it's come down to? Um, yeah. What did the uh, what did the not married people do? Well, now see, there you go. See, you know what? I bet you anything. There's going to be some people who are not married who are living together who are going to Ed Young's church because they're probably not really hearing about their sins. You wouldn't have to deal with that pesky kind of stuff called sin. I bet you anyway, and any, I bet you there'd be a few of them going, let's just do it anyway. Let's participate too. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> That'd be cool to have sex. <sighs> Let me back this up just a minute. Here we go. The super glue, Julie, I believe it's, it's a real reflection of how the marriage is going. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could get 20,000 people having sex for seven straight days. And I think some of the issues that you have to deal with prior to going to bed together, that, that's going to be the real take-home from this uh, sex experiment that we're doing. We heard sex experiment. What age can you go to a church? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know what, though? They might want to put a warning label on his church. Don't attend Fellowship Church unless you're 21. You know. Some laughter in the crowd. What has the reaction be, been from the congregants and the community there? You know, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Oh, my goodness. His stage. What is that? It, it is that looks like something from like one of those uh, like the gold member movie or something like that. Austin Powers. His, his stage looks like it was designed by Liberace and Austin Powers. Dating game too. Yeah, or, or the dating game. Yeah, it's kind of got that '70s sex revolution thing going on. Okay, I wonder if there's a mirror on the top of this. Never mind. Because so many people are whining during the economy, I thought about how do we change whining into whoopee. And what? We had what? people. What? We had what? Guys. What? what? You are kidding me! No, no, no. Okay. 
Whining into Whoopi. Can you look that up in your in your concordance? Look up Whoopi. You got you've got to be kidding me. Okay, gotta back this up again because it's just so worth hearing. Okay, speaking from uh, no, let me continue. Been from the congregants and the community there. You know, it's been overwhelmingly positive because so many people are whining during the economy. I thought about how do we change whining into whoopee. And we, we had people, we had guys who were texting their friends during the sermon. They were like, man, you got to be here next week. You won't believe what's going to happen. So it's... Yeah, dude, come on, man. This is a, this is a church that guys can attend because we can get laid. And the pastor says... Yeah, imagine how this is going to go. Honey... I don't care if you have a headache, Pastor said. It, it's been great. We, we've had a few people to go, man, I wonder why you're doing this, or that's kind of odd. Yeah, the reason it's odd is because it's not even biblical. You know, Ed, quit with chasing after these relevant guys and trying to be relevant yourself and actually open up the book. It's called the Bible. Pick a section. In your case, I would strongly recommend the book of Romans. Begin at chapter 1, verse 1, and start preaching. And don't stop until you get to the end, which means it might take you a good few weeks to get through it. But preach it in context, in all of its magnificent glory about sin and justification, and get off this sex trip. You know, talking about making love in church, but again... (laughs) That can be misconstrued. I think the church has allowed the culture to hijack sex from the church, and it's time that we move the bed back in church and put God back in the bed. And uh, I swear, all of this, I I've got to bite my tongue because everything he said that you can completely twist and mangle it in the wrong way. Roseboro, resist the temptation. We continue, and I, I think we are the real sex experts because, after all, we're made in. <sighs> How much you want to bet he was coached and he practiced all of this ahead of time? Because all of these stupid words that he's throwing uh, out, sex spurts. Are, are you a sex spurt, John? You're a Christian, right? Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Never mind. John, by the way, is currently dating and he's not married. So, John, you can't you can't participate in this. Oh, don't don't be doing that. Singles aren't allowed. Huh? No, singles are not allowed because you're not supposed to be a sex spurt. All right, we continue. God's image, and, and he's the one who wants us to do it his way. So are we four days now into this challenge? No, the challenge starts this Sunday. This coming and, Sunday. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and even my wife and I are going to do this. We've been married for 26 years, <laughs> and we have four kids. So I'm looking. Uh, TMI. You know, wow, this guy's taking one for the team. I mean, what a sacrifice this is. Yes, for you congregation fellowship i your pastor am going to practice what i preach here and sacrificially participate in the seven day sex challenge okay. looking forward to it it'll be one of the greatest thanksgivings ever well you got to practice <laughs> what you preach right oh yeah yes that's right <laughs> now you've asked um your parishioners to email their thoughts and feelings during this week right. why what is going to happen with that information you know i just think <laughs> yeah, there's a good question what, what's, what are you doing with that information? <laughs> People, it, it's going to be in a book. It's going to be in a book, right. And they'll have it illustrated. 
We'll get some real issues out on the table. I think they'll deal with some forgiveness stuff, some maybe hurt feelings. Forgiveness stuff. Hurt feelings stuff. Um, Has the church become nothing more than a place of therapy and self-help? Apparently sex therapy. You know, because he's a sex expert. I think uh, there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety because of this, of this tough time we're going through. Oh, yeah. Stress and anxiety. Ooh. Ooh. Got to solve that problem. How about the sin problem? Yeah. Did Jesus come to make, you know, divert your attention away from life's stresses by having you focus instead on a seven-day sex challenge? Don't think about the economy. Don't think about, you know, the things that are stressing out, whether or not you're going to lose your job. All you need is love. Da-da-da-da-da. All you need is love. Hey, honey, seven-day sex challenge. Meet you in the bedroom. Assume the position. And... This is ridiculous. I think it'll solidify a lot of marriages. And I think this this experiment that we're doing will be a launching pad to take many, many marriages to a whole nother level. So, you know, I swear, I I just want to do like Beavis and Butthead. (laughs) He he said launching pad. (laughs) That's what we're looking forward to doing. So we're going to do a follow up service where we actually read and talk about some of the responses, some of the feelings that the husbands and the wives are having. Oh, group therapy. This is sexual group therapy. When do they have church? I don't know when they have church. Apparently church would get in the way of this. (sighs) Man, sexual group therapy. This is kind of like the Christian version of an orgy. A gathering of people. A gathering of... Never mind. Oh, this is ridiculous. Hmm. And we're going to get them to fill this out in a, in a little book and email it to us. So it's going to be a, right. a cool thing. All right. Well, <laughs> cool happy Thanksgiving, thing. Pastor Ed Young. Good <laughs> luck to it. you. Okay. Man. 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 Don't you miss the days when, you know, you would actually go to church and you wouldn't have to ask the question, is it okay for my kids to be here? Because I know that my pastor is going to feed me the word of God. But uh, (laughs) who needs the word of God? We've got seven-day sex challenges, but they're wimps. They're wimps. They were already outdone by the folks down in Florida. I mean, Ed, come on. I know you're in your late 40s, but, I mean, couldn't you have at least done 31 days? I mean, just to uh, do the one-up thing? I guess God doesn't bring them in the door. No. Maybe it's... (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it's not the size of the sex challenge that matters. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man, this is ridiculous. Anyway, if you would like to email me your thoughts regarding the <clears throat> the uh, Ed Young's seven-day sex challenge, <laughs> I, uh, the, I swear the whole thing has just got me. <laughs> What is going on here? You can do so. Um, (laughs) Oh, man, this is crazy. This is nuts. Uh, If you want to email me, you can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. When we get back, we're going to talk about the reincarnation of the Buddha, listen to Deepak Chopra, talk about whatever else comes to my mind. Oh, man. We'll be right back. 
Being good in the sack is not the measure of true Christian sanctification. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando. We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. Okay, we're back. You know, what we need to do is uh, have churches take the non-sex challenge challenge. That uh, we need to get a bunch of churches signing a piece of paper basically saying that we are committing to not having any sex challenges. It's just ridiculous. We're committed to preaching Christ and Him crucified. You ever thought about that? Ay, ay, ay. 
folks, just want to remind you that Pirate Christian Radio is listener-supported radio. If you if you support the Christ-centered, cross-focused message of Pirate Christian Radio and all of its programming, then uh, I'd like, like to ask you to partner with us and send in your financial support and gift that we need for the continuation and expansion of this important radio network. Uh, you can uh, send your support to Pirate Christian Radio, P.O. Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. And uh, your support allows us to pay our bills, pay for the light, pay for our broadcasting, pay for our employees, pay for our advertising to continue to expand the network. And uh, and the one thing that's really great about Pirate Christian Radio is, is that regardless of when you tune in, you're going to hear the gospel proclaimed for the forgiveness of your sins. You're not going to get pop psychology. You're not going to get sissy, oprah religiosity or anything like that. You know, Pirate Christian Radio is dedicated to bringing you top quality broadcasting that features Christ and him crucified. So if you would like to partner with us and help us to continue uh, this uh, important ministry, then do so by sending your uh, your gifts to Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, 92693. Moving on with the news here. Um, teen reincarnation of Buddha draws crowds. This is from foxnews.com. Uh, this is an associate, This is an AP news story. And the headline is from Ratanpur, Nepal. The teenage boy, revered as a reincarnation of Buddha, sat silently in the jungle as he blessed his devotees Wednesday with a light tap on the head, which they considered the touch of the divine. His face was still, his long hair spilled over his white robe, and he never said a word. Apparently he's enlightened enough that he doesn't need to communicate via words. He can just communicate via a tap on the head. You know, my dad used to do that. When I was younger, he would pat my head. Wait, now, Chris. So maybe my, you know, my dad's pretty large. Maybe he's like Buddha, too. My dad and I are like two peas in a pod. Actually, very large peas. <laughs> uh, the followers of Ram Bahudur, Bamjam. Man, that's a, quite a name. Ram Bahadur Ramjan. Yeah, that's too big to fit on a personalized license plate here in California. Uh, maybe in other countries. He's 18. Uh, the, the followers of him believe he has been meditating without food and water since he was first spotted in the jungles of southern Nepal in 2005. Now, don't don't mean any disrespect for the reincarnation of the Buddha, but... Um, if he hasn't been eating or drinking since 2005, um, he would be a corpse. Sounds like Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, exactly. Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, that, that story kind of fails that little test there. Who doesn't it? No food, no drink. He sleeps for 100 years kind of thing. Yeah, since 2005, they believe he's been meditating without food and water f- since 2005. And to which I basically say then he would be dead. All right. Okay, um, Bomb John emerged this week to meet his followers who have come by the thousands to see him in the jungles of Ratanpur, about 100 miles south of Kathmandu. Quote, I got a chance to see God today. Bishnu, this is said, Bishnu Maya Kadka, a housewife after, she said after receiving Bomb John's blessing Wednesday. Apparently she, he tapped her on the head too. They say he is Buddha, but for me, he is just God. 
Wow. Bomb John was expecting to address his followers on November 18th and then retreat again into the jungle for meditation. Let me – I got to edit this sta- this uh, news story here. Retreat again into the jungle for meditation. And I'm writing some words here. And food and water. Okay. He needs those things to s- survive. <sighs> This just reeks like a scam to me, you know. First of all, um, he's not God. Okay, this is an 18-year-old human being. Supreme decoy. Yes, supreme decoy. Now, you know what's funny? I was was reading – I was reading my family, uh, the Bible, which was one of our rituals. uh, You know, we do at night after we get done eating as we read the Bible – and we're in the book of Revelation. Why are we in the book of Revelation? Well, it's the end of the year. Okay. And um, I thought it was interesting that there was a title. Um, there's a title that the book of Revelation uses for uh, Satan. And I, I, th- I thought this was a good one. Um, listen to this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That's a, I think that's an apt title for Satan. He uh, Scripture desca- describes Satan as the deceiver of the whole world. What was Satan's first attack against humanity? Deception. Okay? Did God really say... That was the question, right? It's, it's one of those emergent postmodern questions. Did God really say? Okay. And ever since then, Satan has been deceiving the world ever since. This is just another example of what I would consider to be yet another. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is what I consider yet another birth pain, which Christ predicted would happen as part of the last times. Now, we've been in the last time since Christ ascended to heaven. Okay, plain and simple. We don't know when he's going to come, but when you got uh, Fox News, which is really, you know, a pretty, I would say that's a pretty large news outlet. You got, they got a lot of people doing it. And this is a story that's being covered by the Associated Press, which means it's getting worldwide coverage. And what are they announcing? That there's an 18-year-old kid out there who claims to be God, claims to be the Buddha, and um, people are worshiping him as if he's God. What does he fall under? He that clearly falls under the category of a false god. He's an idol. He's uh, this is false religion, and these people are deceived, plain and simple. And so, this the work of Satan is he is the deceiver of the nations. That's why we do this show is to point these things out. Okay. We continue. Okay. Ben Bomb John was expected to address his followers. Okay, and retreat in the for meditation. And I wrote in food and water. It said Kamal Tamang, a Buddhist priest. Bamjan received the pilgrims from atop a podium covered in a yellow cloth and placed before a massive tree. He looked healthy and strong and showed no signs of starvation or dehydration. There is a physical explanation for this because he's eating and he's drinking. Buddhism, which has about 325 million followers, mostly in Asia, teaches that every soul is reincarnated after death in another bodily form, which, by the way, what do they what they call that karma? Okay, what goes around comes around. Are you guys going to do maps after Revelation? Now nah, you're funny. 
John just asked a question. If my family, after we're done reading the book of Revelation, if we're going to read the book of Maps. That's good. Because you know, I always say, you know, from Genesis to Maps. Yeah. By the way, the book of Maps is not inspired, by the way. It's pseudepigraphal. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so back to okay. Uh, so, karma, ultimate example of law, no gospel. What goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. Okay. So the idea of karma and reincarnation is is that in each successive life, you get what you deserve from the way you behaved in the last life. Okay. So you know somebody like Hitler, you know he would probably come back as a slug or something, you know, or, you know, some really disgusting insect that pe- and and he'd be stepped on and killed, you know, but see, even as an insect, he's, there's karma that he works on there. And so if, if he, if he did more good than bad as a, as a, as a disgusting insect, then he might come back as a mouse or something, you know, and, and, and see, and then human beings are not the highest thing in the order uh, you know, in Hinduism, when it comes to reincarnation, humans are not the highest thing. In fact, above humans are cows. Okay, so that's why why in India they don't kill cows because you know the reincarnation wheel. They're they're a they're a higher, more ascended life form. And not only that, I mean, you might be killing you know Grandma Judy or somebody. You know, you don't want to do that. <sighs> which what's funny is is that the backside of that is that if you if you know the history of the caste system in India. Okay, the people who are on the low end of the social order and the the poorest of the poor, uh, you know, if you believe in karma and reincarnation, the backside of that, I mean, it sounds so loving and kind and so open minded and spiritual. The backside of that is, is that you don't if you're really, truly into karma, you don't lift a finger to help somebody who's in poverty. You don't spend a penny of your own money, you know, helping to alleviate their suffering why because they're getting what they deserve and you don't want to mess with their karmic debt okay oh man this is a terrible system okay all right so um okay some buddhist priests have been reluctant to accept bamjan as a true reincarnation of siddhartha gautama who was born in the southwestern Nepal roughly 2,500 years ago and became revered as the Buddha or the Enlightened One. Well, glad to hear that there's some skepticism. <clears throat> we consider this progress. Meditating without food does not prove that he is the reincarnation of Buddha. Uh, folks, he's not, re- he's not doing this without food. Serious. Come on. If you take a look at this kid, he's a little pudgy. I mean, it looks like he's been sneaking snacks from Costco. Okay. Um, all right. Meditating without food does not prove that he is the reincarnation of Buddha, said Min Bahadur Shakya of the Najaruna Institute of Exact Methods, a Buddhist research center in Kathmandu. There is much study that is needed to be done, they said. The devotees who have flocked to him. Uh, flock to visit him have fewer doubts. Colorful player, prayer flags fluttered and, incre- and incense filled the air Wednesdays as the pilgrims silently approached Bom John, who was surrounded by a line of Buddhist monks. I have no doubt in my mind he is a god, said Mej Bahadur Lama, a local farmer. He has been meditating without food and water, and no human can achieve such a feat. I used to hear about such miracles in the past but apparently they are now happening in the future, in the present. Well, there you go.
So uh, just another, what we, what do we, as Christians, what we consider these to be is they're birth pains. These are birth pains. False Christ, false prophets. This is a false deity, false miracles, false signs and wonders, all pointing to the fact that this earth is winding down. We're on our way out. Things ain't good. This is just another thing to make us go, you know, birth pains, birth pains. Birth pains, I know it sounds terrible. There's going to be a death. The, the earth is going to die. Christ is going to come back and um, pretty much destroy things. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But so when Jesus talks about the end, he describes them as birth pains. Okay. So we're, these are thing, all these pains and sufferings and, and the contractions are getting tighter and they're coming quicker. Hey, birth pains. Our hope is in Christ and in, in his coming. So let us set our eyes on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Uh, Purpose Driven 2.0. Do you know that um, Rick Warren is um, getting ready to launch a new magazine called The Purpose Driven Connection? You know, and here's my take on it. Okay, The Purpose Driven Connection is a monthly magazine that is, focuses on, on purpose drivenism. And what does this mean? You know, it means those purpose driven 40 days campaigns are passe. That's just not going to do it anymore. So this is the purpose driven life 2.0. 2.0 rather than being a book is going to be a magazine. And in the magazine, here's what it says from purposedriven.com. We've been blessed with an incredible opportunity in partnership with Reader's Di- uh, the Reader's Digest organization. We are launching a new magazine and companion website entitled the purpose driven connection the project is a multimedia platform and membership and membership program that will serve pastors churches and seekers interested in christian values through a new suite of resource tools including one uh, purpose driven with rick warren magazine that will contain small group curriculum in each issue and to a state of the art interactive website purposedriven.com and um yeah, 40 Days of Love is winding down. And so we, you know, we, how do you keep the love doing? Rick, you know, why don't you, you, you and your buddy, Adyen, maybe, you know, saddle back and do an eight-day sex challenge, you know. And do it right around Christmas, you know, because, you know, that would just make the snuggling all that much better even in the cold weather and stuff in the holidays, you know, a little more romantic. Yeah. Anyway, um, according to the I'm – I'm looking at the cover of Purpose Driven Connection premiere issue. Uh, Pastor Rick answers your questions. Five blessed ways to triumph in tough times. New faces of faith, living the word, the healing power of prayer. And Rick Warren invites you to live the purpose-driven life. These are like the, the articles that are featured here. Um, you know, here's the deal. Eighth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. Okay. Um, means that you shouldn't lie about somebody. And Luther correctly points out that you want to put the best construction on things. Now, in, in all deference to Luther, as somebody who has studied the purpose-driven movement, I got to tell you, um, I don't have a lot of faith that this purpose-driven magazine is going to be Christ-centered. Okay, I've read a lot of stuff coming out of Saddleback Church, a lot of stuff written by Rick Warren, a lot of stuff that's written been written uh, in the name of the purpose-driven movement. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I will be surprised if this magazine doesn't 
mangle the scripture, focus in on man, and that and the resources are turn out to be something that completely biffs it regarding true biblical Christianity. I, I gotta admit I'll be surprised. I am not holding out a lot of hope here that this purpose driven magazine will be a resource that either I could recommend to people, um or not critique. In fact, what we'll be doing here at Fighting for the Faith, we're going to make sure to get our hands on every issue of Purpose Driven Connection magazine. And and if we need to, we will correct, you know, further we'll we'll provide our editing services. You know, whenever they mangle a passage of scripture, you know, remember Rick Warren on, you know, God has a sense of humor and the Blazing Saddles Bible study that we did as a result of that. You know, God has a sense of humor because that one passage, that one verse, which isn't even a full sentence, said, you know, uh, the Lord in heaven laughs. <laughs> you know, but when you read the rest of it, it's like he's laughing in derision because he's about ready to judge the world and kill people. You know, you don't want God laughing that way. So because Rick Warren and uh, the folks at Saddleback at this point pretty much have an unbroken record as far as mangling God's word is concerned, um, our hope and prayer is is that this new resource, resource will actually focus in on Christ and not man, that it will correctly handle God's word and not twist the scripture and, and proof text God's word in a way that engages in self-help, psychological therapy, self-esteem building kind of stuff. But we don't have a lot of hope that that's going to be the case because Saddleback has a pretty consistent record of the materials that they produce doing that, including, most recently, the High School Musical 3 Bible study, which was a complete abortion as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's a strong term, sorry. Anyway, all right. We're going to switch gears here. And uh, Deepak Chopra, Chopra, Deepak Chopra appeared on uh, Hannity and Combs talking about none other than Jesus Christ, and um, which I thought was interesting. And what we're going to do is we're going to play some. Being uh, good in the sack is. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wrong button, wrong button there. Um, we're going to uh, listen to Deepak Chopra on the Hannity and Combs show. And um, it, it, and as, as he's talking about Jesus Christ, we're just going to do a little comparative work to see if what you're hearing here is at all Christianity. Of course, Deepak Chopra is kind of, uh, you know, a, a light Hindu Buddhist type person. He's into, uh, how do I put this? He's really into the um, New Age movement and and he and Oprah, you know, their views about Jesus are pretty consistent and so uh, I thought I'd play this for you and, you know, comment along the way. So um, let's see here. Controls, I want to. Uh, <laughs> All right. We're going to show controller. Here we go. Here we go. This is Deepak Chopra on Hannity and Combs. The brand new novel, Jesus, A Story of Enlightenment, imagines the lost years of Christ himself. Now, got to stop. <laughs> Deepak Chopra has a... Um, a story called Jesus, the story, it speculates about the missing years of Jesus. Okay, because if you read the biblical accounts of Jesus' life, what do we find? Jesus is born. We've got the account in Luke where uh, they, his family travels from Nazareth down to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's got to be uh, a, you know, in junior high at this time. And, you know, 11, 12-year-old kid. And he doesn't hook up with his family's caravan back to uh, Nazareth. And his mom freaks out. Oh, no, I've lost God. 
you know, you can imagine the stress that was on her shoulders. So what happens is, is she, you know, they, they, they realize he's not there. They travel back and they search all throughout Jerusalem, trying to find him. And when they finally do find him, where is he? He's in the temple in, in deep discussion with the, with the, the rabbis and the teachers there at the temple discussing the finer points of the law. Right. And, uh, uh, which is really interesting. Okay. So we've got that little event and then nothing, nothing until you get the beginning rumblings of, of something going to happen from the preaching of John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, John the Baptist wasn't very seeker sensitive and he had, he suffered from, you know, wardrobe issues and hygiene problems. You know, this was not the kind of guy that you, uh, you, you would call to your church. And so, but that's the guy that Jesus picked to prepare the way for him. Gives guys like me some hope. Anyway, so um, what people constantly want to do is they want to fill that information vacuum with stuff in their own imagination. Deepak Chopra, no different. Okay, he's filling in the missing years of Jesus. And what is he doing? He's turning Jesus into somebody who is just like you and me. And then he le- he became the Christ consciousness. Okay. I, I wish I was making this up. We continue. Author Deepak Chopra traces Jesus' path from rebellious teenager to rebellious leader and tells a story of how the spiritual Christ emerged. And joining us. The what? Yeah, this is like, you know, the, the, the missing episodes of Lucy or something, you know, the missing years. Folks, I, I, I wish I could say this was original, but I mean, this book is no different. This book is probably rewritten once every decade. Somebody writes this exact book. OK, he just ripped this off from the person who did it 10 years ago because you know, this is now the new thing. And everyone wants to stick their stuff. Folks, where scripture is silent, we are silent. Where scripture proclaims boldly, we proclaim boldly. Right? If, it, 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 let me put it to you in, in a, a less polite term. If God wanted you to know what Jesus did from the time he was 12 until the time he appeared, you know, you know, to, you know at 30, and to begin his, uh, his ministry, his visible ministry on earth, then he would have told you. And since it's not in scripture, it's none of your business. And since it's not in scripture, you don't have any right or ability to go and speculate what he did. And what has Deepak Chopra done? He's constructed his own idol, a Jesus in his own image. You know, he's taken those missing years and now we've got Jesus, the rebellious teenager to Jesus, the rebellious leader. And how is he interpreting? He's interpreting him through the grid of new age mysticism and 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 Hindu and Buddhist concepts. We continue. It's now for his first cable interview. New York. Oh, whoa. Look at those glasses. The guy looks like he's wearing Liberace glasses. Looks like he stole these things from Elton John or something. Wow. Okay. Times bestselling author, founder of the Chopra Institute, Deepak Chopra. Pleasure you said a funny joke. If, if I said it's Chopra, right? And you said, yes, it would be. I said, if Oprah married me, she would be Oprah Chopra. <laughs> <laughs> Have you used that joke before? I like What's it. That's very choice? good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, Alan's going to talk to you about the book, which, sure. by the way, I, and Alan's a big fan of yours, and, yes. and we're glad to have you on the program. Thank you very much. You, you and I were talking in the green room. Right. You want 100 million people yeah. to take a pledge. Yeah. Tell everybody what that pledge is. The- oh, man. See, even Chopra wants people to take pledge 
and he wants a hundred million people to do it. I mean, Ed Young, you know, what a wimp. When he wants twenty thousand people to take a seven day cha- sex challenge, here we got this new rage mystic guy, Deepak Chopra. He wants a hundred million people to take a pledge. That's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, Ed Young, wimp. Deepak Chopra, man, this is bravery, isn't it? The pledge is the a pledge of nonviolence, a pledge for making the choice for peace in every moment. Oh, I'm gonna vomit. You got to be kidding me! A pledge of nonviolence, a pledge of peace. It sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Um, no, this isn't biblical anything. With yourself, with your friends, with your family, and ultimately with the world. And I believe that if a hundred million people became embodiments of peace, the world would transform because... Uh, the, the important words there, I believe. I believe if a hundred million people took this pledge of peace that it would change the world. Where does this idea come from? Uh, Deepak Chopra. Does it come from God? Most certainly not. No, 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 no. This is in his enlightened state because he's so much more spiritually enlightened than we are. Right? You know, um, I believe. I believe. And people are going, oh, 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 wow, Deepak Chopra. He believes that if we just make this pledge of peace, that it'll change the world. You know what's funny is, is that the purpose-driven guys talk a lot about changing the world too, don't they? What's with this fascination with people and you know spirituality and religiosity wanting to change the world? I'll be blunt. I mean, Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and change the world. Now, making disciples does have a profound impact on the world and does have a way of affecting decisions and things that are done in the world. But that's a fruit of discipleship, not the goal of discipleship. You see what I'm saying? So, quite frankly, folks, if your church is talking about changing the world, get out of there. It's not about changing the world. It's about proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins. Jesus is who he claimed to be, which is God in human flesh. He came to redeem the world by dying on the cross for our sins. Okay? Go and make disciples, teaching them all the things that Jesus has taught. And here's the good news. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Hoorah. Woot. My daughter says that. She's got me saying it now. But uh, to change the world through cosmic consciousness. This, I understand he's not trying to be biblical, but since he's written a book about Jesus, that that comes into our turf. Okay. You're going to write a book about Jesus. Now you're in our turf, Deepak. And this ain't in the Bible anywhere. We continue. <laughs> Consciousness, our consciousness mm-hmm. is a collective phenomenon. And what we see as good and evil is the balance between mm-hmm. forces. Uh, so that if, I part punch, of a field. If, if I punch you, mm-hmm. you're going to turn the other cheek. 20 years ago, I would have knocked you back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, That's a good idea. You know, but, but now but, you would. T- but now I would create an environment where you wouldn't feel like what punching if, me. All right, what if some. I would create an environment where you didn't feel like punching me. You know, the Apostle Paul did a miserable job of that. Did you know that? <sighs> a little biblical work here. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Paul and stoned. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 14. Let's uh, read this in context. Let's see how well the Apostle Paul, who was one of the earliest um, Christians, who actually had a run-in with the resurrected Jesus Christ while he was traveling on the road to Damascus to, um, how should we put this, kill Christians. That was really what his goal was. Um, He basically says... Let's see here. He, is he in Lystra? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright and on your feet. Okay. Um, so far, so good. Stand upright and on your feet. I want to make sure of something here. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so the story continues. Um, and he sprang up and he began walking. Okay, you would think that this is creating a, a an environment of peace, right? I mean, I, I, a poor beggar has just received the ability to walk, right? I mean, I mean, Paul here is is using his. His, he's trying to change the world and change the cosmic consciousness in order to create an environment of peace so that, you know, so that there's love and understanding, right? <clears throat> so, um, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostle... When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave uh, himself without a witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisf- satisfying your hearts with food and gladness and even with these words they scarcely restrained people from offering a sacrifice to them apparently paul wasn't embracing his christ consciousness and in, in embracing that deity within him and creating an environment of peace um but the jews came from antioch and iconium and having persuaded the crowd they stoned paul and dragged him out of the out of the city, supposing that he was dead. What man? What is wrong with the apostle Paul here? Why why isn't he creating an environment where people don't want to kill him? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, all right, we continue. But he was in we your... didn't tell me. I said I would create an, an environment, environment where I wouldn't want to punch you. Yeah, you, you know, when I was totally established in peace consciousness, then people around me cease to feel hostility. Oh, but he... Ah, uh, yeah. People... Yeah, it, it, this, is, this is the force. This is... This is uh, he's a Jedi of sorts. It's the Jedi mind trick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Um, when we get back from our break, we'll, we'll continue with uh, Deepak Chopra. Um, if you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you heard today on Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, and we will be right back.
If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour, And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology made accessible. All right, we are back. And we're listening to uh, Deepak Chopra, Chopra on uh, Hannity and Combs. He was on there a couple of nights ago. And, uh, yeah, on Fox News is Hannity and Combs. And the reason why we're talking about him is because he's apparently teaching us something about Jesus because he's written about Jesus. He's, uh, or as Rob Bell would say, Jesus. And uh, so that puts him into our territory, so we get to comment on that. Yeah, the untold years. Although I commented on the Buddha kid, but the reason why the Buddha kid still falls in our category, because he claims to be God. And there is no other God except for the one true God. And that Jesus was God in human flesh. This uh, kid who is apparently not eating, but believe me when I tell you, he looks pretty healthy to me. Um, he, don't, that, it's a scam. Somebody, There's money being made somewhere. I could just feel it. Anyway, Chopra's talking about... Uh, talking about Christianity here, and, well, uh, spirituality, and uh, we'll, we'll continue. We're just doing play-by-play commentary, because what this guy is basically feeding us has nothing to do with Jesus and is not Christianity at all. But what's really funny is that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who believe similar things. Very, very frightening. We continue. So you just you have this aura that you can prevent people. So I a burglar comes in your, in your house, mm-hmm. you know, stoned out of his mind on crack cocaine, and he mm-hmm. wants to rape your, your daughter and your wife and mm-hmm. steal everything. Or how about you travel into a town and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and heal a sick person, and what's, you're going to create an environment where no one wants to hurt you. Thing you have, mm-hmm. your aura is going to stop See, them? See, I'll tell you, 20 years ago, a burglar came into my house. He had a mm-hmm. baseball bat, and I screamed so loudly that the bat fell from him. I picked it up, I knocked him on the head. He was unconscious. The police came, he was wanted for murder. Right. About six months ago, I was in Nashville, mm-hmm. and the same thing happened, but it wasn't my house. I stepped into an alley, and four kids surrounded me with a gun. Right. And I talked them out of it. All right. Well, uh- wow. See, that proves that this works. He was surrounded by four kids with a gun, and he created an environment where he was able to talk them out of hurting him. You know, the Apostle Paul was miserable at this. He, man, if only Deepak Chopra had been around at the time that Paul was doing his missionary journeys, he wouldn't have been stoned. 
you know, he would have been able to create a, a, an environment of the Christ consciousness whereby creating, committing himself to peace where no one would have wanted to hurt him. You know, let's go a little farther, folks. I want you to think about this. Did Jesus create an environment where nobody wanted to hurt him? <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, this is just so not hard to do. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to... Well, uh, the obvious answer to that is no, because what did they do to Jesus? Um, let me see. They crucified him. Did Jesus create an environment whereby... No one wanted to hurt him? No. Um, what's interesting is, is that if you know the story of Jesus and Lazarus, okay, wonderful story. And the, the punchline on this one is outrageous. The punchline on this one is outrageous. And I, I prefer to do a little Bible teaching rather than uh, Deepak Chopraizing at the moment here. But um, if we go into the Gospel of John and go to John chapter 11, wonderful story, by the way, an amazing, amazing biblical story. Okay, and we'll start at the beginning because this one's just too good to pass up. Okay, and you're going to love the punchline here. Uh, we're, all we're doing is taking what Deepak Chopra is saying and comparing it to God's word, right? Because okay. he's writing about Jesus. Did Jesus create an environment where people didn't want to harm him? Because, you know, think about it. Deepak Chopra was in Nashville. He went into a dark alley. Four kids surrounded him and they had a gun and he talked them out of hurting him. <sighs> Jesus wasn't even able to do that. Man, maybe Chopra is more, has more of the Christ consciousness than Jesus himself. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Okay? So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Okay, so they send word to Jesus. Okay, why? Because they know that Jesus can heal. They've seen that before. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And you're going to go, huh? So Jesus, hearing that Lazarus was ill, somebody he loved, somebody he cared about deeply, he knew he was ill, and what did he do? He stayed put for two days. I thought he loved him. We continue. At, then after he said uh, to the disciples, let's go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. <laughs> okay, we've got a problem here. Jesus did not create an environment of peace. He really stinks at this environment of peace thing that Deepak Chopra is, uh, is talking about. All right. <clears throat> All right. So, <clears throat> All right. They were just trying to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he, s he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and awaken him. Now the disciples said to him, uh, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, well, he will recover. And Jesus is speaking euphemistically. And you can just kind of see Jesus going, oh, man, these guys still don't get it. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let's go let us go to him now this is a silly passage here but it's it's part of the text it says so Thomas called the twins said to his fellow disciples let's also go that we may die with him <laughs> he's over spiritualizing what's going on here the story continues now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for 4 days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to, your, said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Ooh, good stuff. All right. Now, when she had said this. She went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary had come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, this is interesting. In the passage here, I got to back this up. In, in, in chapter, in verse 33 here, there's something going on in the Greek that's a little hard to pick up in the English. Um, let me see if I can get this. <laughs> here in the Greek, there's um, a very weird verb. It said, um, come with her also. Uh, and he, he, Jesus, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? Okay. Um, it's weird. It's enabremesato. Uh, enabremesato. The Greek word here means to rebuke or to speak harshly. And so if you're reading this in the Greek and you get to this verse and it says that Jesus was greatly troubled, it's, it's, um, he, he's, he's saying it, he's speaking in a way where he's, he's angry or harsh or it, 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 it's not that he was deeply moved. Like he was going to cry. It's almost like he's angry. And you're asking, why would Jesus be angry? This comes through in the Greek really loud and clear. And when he says, where have you laid him? The tone there is not one of anger towards Mary and Martha, but it, literally it's anger towards death itself. You know, like he's going to go conquer the lion of death. It, it comes out really wonderfully in the Greek, but you miss it in the English. All right. So you got Jesus who's really uh, who's like mad. 
in, in the spirit, in, in where have you laid him? I'm going to go rescue him. I'm going to go. That's what they said. And they said to him, well, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Yeah, they, that, you know, they've seen Jesus heal before, but nothing like this. So then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead men, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be uh, there will be an odor in the in the King James <laughs> version. It says, uh, Lord, he stinketh. You know, it's uh, one of my favorite passages. Yeah. OK, so um, there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the, now this is where the fun part comes in. Okay, this, uh, let's pause and reflect on this for a second. If you were there, what have, what have you just witnessed? Well, you may as well have been there because the, the eyewitness who was there wrote this for your, for your sake, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. That's why John wrote this. And what did the eyewitness to this event write? That Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for four days, to, even to the point where his tomb stunk. He raised a person from the dead. Okay, we're talking about the pinnacle miracle. Okay, raising some from somebody from the dead, it doesn't get much better than that, folks. Okay, and he has literally raised Lazarus from the dead. Literally. You would think at this point that people would be on their face, repenting of their sins and saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Right? Listen to this. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather uh, into one the children of God who are scattered. So from that day, the day that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Deepak Chopra is writing a has written a book about Jesus and um, talking about this, you know, changing the collective consciousness by getting 100 million people to commit to peace and how that will change the world. And I'm basically saying this guy is selling you a bill of goods. 
I mean, if there was anybody on the earth who could potentially have built a, you know, an aura of peace about him, would it not have been Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the man who healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, and raised the dead? Talk about an amazing spiritual act of peace and cosmic consciousness. And what was our reaction to that? We wanted to kill him. <clears throat> I think there's something wrong with this, don't you, John? Yeah, I, me too. All right, we continue. Uh, look, I don't doubt that that can happen, but I believe, and I wrote a whole book about it, mm -hmm. that there's evil. And I, for example... I right. Uh, Sean, you're right. There is evil, and it, it's, it's in all of us. Ahmadinejad denies mm -hmm. the Holocaust. He wants to wipe Israel off the map. I think it is rather naive. He's not so much evil. You know what's funny is, is that here you got Hannity. You know, what, where does he point to for evil in the world? Ahmadinejad. You, you, you want to know how I know there's evil in the world? Just look at the sin in my own life. Oh, forget Ahmadinejad. Rosebro is evil. We continue. As he's probably psychotic. Psychotic evil, you know. But <sighs> and there's Chopra. He's just psychologized. <sighs> Maybe Hitler was just psychotic. Oh, psychotic people need to I think there's treated. evil. But you don't deny there's evil in the world. I think evil is a collective shadow. Each one. Evil is a collective shadow. I'm losing patience here. One of us has a tendency for the diabolical. If a tendency. Man has a tendency for the diabolical. A tendency. <laughs> oh, all right, time for a little biblical work here. Again, we're going to go into Romans. Romans 2 and 3. We can, we're going to read in Romans. Here we go. Okay. What advantage then is there in being a Jew or the value of circumcision? Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Much in every way. To, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some of them were unfaithful? Does faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Well, by no means. Let God be true, though every one of us were a liar. As it is written, that your words may be justified and uh, prevail when you are judged. But if our righteousness serves to show the right, uh, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Well, by no means. For how the, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just? So what then? Are Jews? Any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that's the whole world, by the way, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruined, uh, ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
That's the description of all of humanity, folks. We don't have a tendency for the diabolical. We're evil through and through. <sighs> That's the thing. All of these other spiritual paths, they just kind of minimize the condition of man. You're not sinful. You're not evil. You're, you just, you, you've got a psychological issue. Or you just have a tendency towards these things. It's, it's educa it educates you properly in the cosmic consciousness, in the way of peace, and you'll be good. And you'll change the world. I put you in inhumane conditions. If you're not educated, if you're extremely poor, if you're humiliated, then as a child, if you suffer you abuse, then you'll manifest evil when you grow up. My own that's not true. You know, human history is actually full of people who've grown up under really the the worst of conditions, and some people actually rise above them. Uneducated people, even. My point, though, is is I think there are certain circumstances where you've got to defeat evil. Well, as you've a got to physician, I so. look at, say, cancer as an evil phenomenon. Right. And if somebody has cancer, but no, no, I'm I talking about spiritual evil. This goes to my white But then I try to understand yeah. what does the context, what's the conditions in which it arose. What? And if I don't do that, I'll continue to fight darkness with darkness. And you can't do that. You have to switch on the light, as yeah. Jesus Actually, did. Actually, that. Yeah, you got to switch on the light as Jesus did. Let's hear what he does with Jesus here. Very so nice one of the things you talk about in the book, uh, Deepak, which is yeah. you, say, uh, you talk about the Jesus you talk about, which I want to get yeah. to in a moment. But you say resist not evil is one mm -hmm. of the things that Jesus teaches. Well, read the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Yeah. And if you take it literally, which Gandhi did, by the way. God <sighs> did he really take it uh, literally? Because it says if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Does anyone? I'm not saying that you don't take the the Sermon on the Mount literally. Everyone loves the Sermon on the Mount. Liberals and they they think that somehow this is you know a a, a sermon of Christ consciousness or something of cosmic do goodism. It really isn't, folks. There's some pretty nasty law in there, and Christ is his appeal in the Sermon on the Mount is to for faith and trust in Him. That's ultimately what it's about. Gandhi used to read the Sermon on the Mount and practice it. He brought down the British Empire, 200 years of colonialism, where they said the sun never set without firing a single bullet. When you talk about the things, and you talked about this in your previous book, The Third Jesus, the things that Jesus talked about sound simple, mm -hmm. but they're so difficult to do. Love thy they neighbor are, as thyself. Yeah, because you have to... Yeah, they, uh, <clears throat> okay, um... <laughs> Alan, the reason why it's so difficult to do is because of what I just read from Romans chapter 3. We are all sinful. We have rejected God and don't want to have anything to do with him. That's why, by nature, we don't want to have nothing to do with God. And by nature, we cannot even love God. God has to turn us. <sighs> Understand the mind, the consciousness from where he came. You know, in in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, uh, I and God are one. And the crowd picks up stones. They want to kill him. He says, many good works have I shown you. For which of these do you stone me? And they say, we don't stone you for good works that you do. We stone you for blasphemy because you being a man call yourself a God. And then he explains that, you know, the state of consciousness that he's in is possible for anyone and everyone. And you talk about... Oh, man... He takes John chapter 10, where Jesus, where the, the, his Jewish listeners get what's going on. Understand his audience are Jews. They are monotheistic Jews, people of the Old Testament. They understand there is only one true God. And they get what Jesus is saying. And then he says, 
and they, they, they want to stone him for claiming to be God. And then Jesus, according to Chopra, Jesus then tells them how they can achieve cosmic, this Christ consciousness. Wow, that's quite a twist. Uh, let's take a look at the passage. It's John chapter 10. Of course, in case you don't know, I've been reading from the ESV because really, truly sanctified and uh, pious people like myself read from the ESV. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll, We'll pick up the story in verse 25 of chapter 10. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Well, let me back it up so we get a little more context. Context is good. At that time, the feast of the dedication, verse 22 Uh, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, they have an idea of who the Christ is. It doesn't say, If you you have achieved the Christ consciousness, then tell us plainly. That's Chopra's reinterpretation of what's going on here. Um, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What is Jesus just doing? When he's saying that he's one with the Father, he's actually making himself equal with God. Now, to the ears of a monotheistic Jew, somebody who understands the Torah and the prophets, what Jesus has just done, they see him as a man, speaking as if he's a God. They did the logical thing to do. It says the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because that's the punishment for somebody who blasphemes in this way. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, According to Deepak Chopra, then Jesus goes on to teach them how they can change the Christ consciousness. Let's, uh, let me back this up just a couple of seconds so you can hear his response here to Alan Combs. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, uh, I and God are one. And the crowd picks up stones. They want to kill him. He says, many good works have I shown you. For which of these do you stone me? And they say, we don't stone you for good works that you do. We stone you for blasphemy because you being a man call yourself a God. And then he explains that, you know, the state of consciousness that he's in is possible for anyone and everyone. And you talk about... Okay, so Jesus supposedly goes on to explain that the state of consciousness that he is in is possible for anyone and everyone. Actually, that's not what happens. The Jews answered him, it is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If then... If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent in the world, you are blasphemy because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. 
what Jesus did there, just so you know, um, Jesus is referring back to a psalm. He's using what's called an a fortiori argument. Okay, Basically, if you read Psalm 82, verse 6, this is what he's referring to, where Yahweh is speaking you know, in kind of in a derisive tone, really. He says, I said you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. We should read that in context, shouldn't we? I just get that feeling. Okay, Jesus is actually quoting from and referring to um, Psalm 82, 6. All right, let's write this down. Let's read this. Uh, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Okay, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All, All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Here in Psalm 82, which Jesus is referring to, the psalm itself speaks, God is speaking derisively of the little gods running around the planet, right? And he says, even though, you know, you, you, you are gods, you're going to die like men. Okay, so Jesus is referring back to Psalm chapter 82, verse 6, not saying that we can achieve the cosmic consciousness. In that passage, God is speaking derisively against human beings and their little God complex and claiming that they're gods and yet the, the poor are afflicted and they commend all this evil. So Jesus says, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. For if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent the world, you are blasphemed because I said, I am the Son of God? See, he's using an argument here, basically, that points back to him, not them. He's not saying, you can, be, you can, you can have the same Christ consciousness that I have. You, can, you too can become like I am. That's not what he's saying. The whole point of what Jesus is saying is pointing back to himself as being God. And if you misinterpret this passage, because it can be a little confusing if you don't know what you're doing, you can misinterpret this in a way. He's basically misinterpreting, making it sound like you can become a god. Oh, contraire, you shall die like a man. Psalm 82 says very clearly, Psalm 82, verse 6. Oh, dangerous stuff. Christ consciousness here. And when you talk about some of the big controversies concerning Jesus, mm-hmm. for example, was Jesus, Jesus static? Mm-hmm. Was he born divine or was he born like us and evolved through a transformation? I think everyone into a has person? a spark of divinity inside them. After all, we were. There it is. You don't believe in uh, the total depravity of man? Then you believe there's something still good inside of human beings, whether you want, you want to believe it or not. And the way the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Eastern New Age mystics do it, we all have a divine spark within us. Uh, no, there ain't no divine spark in you. Okay, that sucker got extinguished when Adam and Eve fell. There is no divine spark. It's garbage. It's hogwash. It isn't supported biblically. And now they're sitting there speculating. Uh, was Jesus born divine or did he become divine? Did, you know, 
These are not biblical categories. He's not telling you about the real Jesus. Created in the image of God, as it said. Even Alan? So, <laughs> even you. <laughs> and if we pay attention to that, you see, he, we does, can he let makes it me unfold. want to be violent, but nevertheless, no, I'm no, taking no, a page no, no, out of trouble. No, no. I'm the one that, uh, that you know, is, <laughs> believes in defending oneself. See, when, not you're, when you're totally defenseless, there's nothing to attack. Really, if they're, if you're totally defensive, there's nothing to attack. Uh, were the Jews? Comp- I thought the Jews were pretty much defenseless as they were in their little concentration camps. Completely defensive, you know, unborn children that were boarding at you know to the tune of four or five thousand a day. They're completely defenseless. There's nothing to attack. I, that sounds great in theory, but the reality is if someone's raping your wife and daughter, you're going to use violence? No, you, you react at that time, but then try... You'd hit them with the bat? Yeah, if I was... You would, I mean, but what yeah, you're... but I'd try something else before. But what would you I try? I wouldn't put myself in that situation. But is it what you're but saying? We have a second left here, but is what you're... Spiritual poison. Darkness. It's an idol. He's created an idol. This is a false Jesus. This is a false religious notion. What you're saying here, getting beneath that, is that you create a situation where those circumstances don't occur to you. The world out there is a projection of our collective consciousness. Oh, the world is a projection of our collective consciousness. It's like the Matrix. If our collective consciousness reaches that place of peace, harmony, laughter, and love, it'll be a different world. And the idea is to achieve Christ consciousness. Ultimately, Christ said, I'm in this world and not of it. And we all have that capacity. Can I ask a question? Wow. 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 Wow, wow. Yeah, I don't know what else to say there. I think that pretty much says it. No, Christ, we can't be like Christ. He's God in human flesh. Christ didn't come to say, and you know, in a sense, you know, follow my example, and you know, and hey, guys, you can do this too. It, no, he came to do it for us. That's the biblical gospel presented in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, we're at the end of our program, <laughs> folks. Um. Just a reminder, Pirate Christian Radio is a listener-supported radio network, and your financial support is needed for the continuation and expansion of this important radio outreach. If you would uh, like to partner with us, you can do so by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, 92693. And if you'd like to email me, and sound off on anything that you've heard today and let me know about your Christ consciousness, um, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>